Hi, thank you for sitting down with me today. I appreciate it. Today, we're going to talk about bias. I'm Tim Anderson, the appraiser's advocate. Thank you for being with me today. I appreciate it. As I indicated, we're going to spend the next little while talking about bias. Now, bias has been in the news a lot lately. Appraisers have been accused of various types of bias, specifically racial bias or racial discrimination. We're not going to talk about that today. That is a topic too broad. The allegations against the appraisers are just that at this point. They're allegations. So we're we're going to talk about some other areas of bias, and we're going to talk about some areas of bias that you may really not understand it's possible to engage in. Before we get started, we need to understand the definition of bias. And because we're real estate appraisers, we're going to take this right out of USPAP. Now, this definition of bias also refers to biased. The definition of bias is, quote, a preference or inclination that precludes an appraiser's impartiality, independence, or objectivity in an assignment. And again, it includes biased in it. And then there's one reference to this in the ethics rule. There's one reference to bias in the ethics rule in the conduct section. And it says an appraiser must not perform an assignment with bias. Now, cross-reference this against the definition of an appraiser. Now, the definition of an appraiser is one who is expected to perform valuation services competently and in a manner that is independent, impartial, and objective. Remember those three words. The appraiser who gives up his or her independence, impartiality, and objectivity is one who has ceased to be an appraiser. Such an abandonment has all sorts of ramifications. None of them are particularly positive. Remember as well that in the certification, you know, we, we sign a certification with every appraisal report that goes out the door, and we certify that we followed USPAP. Now, listen to what this says. The certification says, this report, this appraisal report, is my unbiased professional analyses, and I have no bias with respect to the subject property or the parties involved in the assignment. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, let's talk about the two areas of bias that quite frankly may be unconscious. We, we may not even realize we're engaging in these two particular biases. Now, please remember, you need to go to my website. I have a blog on bias that's a lot more complete than this. You also need to check out the cognitive bias Codex. If you'll Google that, the Cognitive Bias Codex, you'll get it. One of the things it teaches us is there are at least 180 biases in which we can engage. Now, some of those are interrelated. I'm not going to debate that. But the point is, we say in the certification, I have done this appraisal and written this report with no bias whatsoever. Therefore, it's necessary to be aware of these biases. Yes, all, all 180 of them, so that we can avoid them, so that we can make sure that when we sign that certification that says, this is my unbiased opinion, blah, 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 it really is unbiased. 
Now, we're not going to get into all 180 of those. We are, however, going to talk about two of them. They are selection bias and confirmation bias. Remember them. And as we go through this, you're going to say, I may be doing that. I'd best stop. So let's talk first about selection bias. Now, I'm not going to give you a formal statistical or psychological definition, but what it comes down to is selection bias is choosing data that are easy to get. Now, that's the bias. And you say, well, okay, what, what does it mean? What are its ramifications? Well, the bias is when you limit your search for data to data that are easy to get, you're just going after the low-hanging fruit, as it were, then the bias comes in because you've ignored the high-hanging fruit. Now you say, Tim, that's wonderful. What does that mean relative to me as a real estate appraiser? Quite frankly, selection bias rears its ugly head if the only source of data you use is MLS. That's the selection bias. You have selected merely one source of data. Now you say, Tim, I'm in a non-disclosure state. Of course I've got to choose MLS. It's the only place I can get decent information on the sales. That's true. I'm not debating that for a second. The point is, if you don't use other sources of data, such as the public record, for sale by owner indices, possibly in newspapers, the dreaded Zillow for listings, the dreaded Redfin for listings, Realtor.com, brokers' websites, other appraisers, etc., then you're guilty basically of selection bias. You're not meaning to do it. You just, you're trying to be as efficient as possible, get as much data as quickly as possible. But the point is, there is some bias. And I will guarantee you that if one of your reports ever goes up before a state appraisal board, one of the questions they're going to ask you is, would you please give us your search criteria by which you determine these, these sales were indeed comparable sales? And if you show them merely an MLS search, they're going to say, well, what else did you search? And if you say nothing then there might be some problems in the future. The second one is called confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is the tendency to look for information that supports rather than rejects one's preconceptions, typically by interpreting evidence to confirm existing beliefs while neglecting or ignoring any conflicting data. In other words, you find one really good sale that, say, supports the uh, uh, purchase and sale agreement, but you find three sales that indicate that the purchase and sale agreement is probably high and is probably a function of an overzealous broker looking to get his or her commission up, yet you ignore those. You've confirmed your bias that the sales price, the, excuse me, not the sales price, but the price of the, the sale and purchase contract price is the price you want to go with. So do you stop there? No. You look at all the data because, quite frankly, the purchase and sale agreement may, well, obviously, it represents what the buyer and the seller have agreed to. Nobody debates that. That's not even a question. The question is, is the price to which the buyer and seller and broker have agreed the market value of the real estate? 
It may be. It may not be. The point is, it takes analysis of that information to determine if indeed the purchase and sale price confirms the market value or if the market data do not confirm the purchase and sale price. In other words, we have to depend not on the purchase and sale, uh, purchase and sale agreement solely, but we have to balance that off against the rest of the market data. Now, some appraisers like to claim that appraisers should not have a copy of the purchase and sale agreement because it tends to focus their thinking on that purchase price. That is a bias, by the way. It's called anchoring bias, but we're not going to get into it here. That's, a, that's another podcast. So we've got a copy of the purchase and sale agreement. We look at it and our thinking tends to focus on that price. Well, we can't let that happen. We're independent, impartial, and objective. Therefore, we've got to focus our thinking not only on that one data point, but on other data points that are out there too, so that we don't engage in selection bias as well. The point of all this is appraisers likely do not mean to engage in bias. It's probably unconscious. But the point is we may be doing so. And if we are doing so, perhaps we're tainting the quality of our value opinion. Remember, the public is supposed to be able to trust us. When the public can trust us, one of the reasons it can is because it knows we're going to follow USPAP. Part of USPAP says the appraiser will collect, verify, and analyze all information necessary for credible assignment results. In other words, there's no selection bias because the appraiser grabs all of the data necessary for credible assignment results. The appraiser analyzes all that data and then throws out the stuff that isn't relevant. He or she doesn't throw out the stuff that doesn't support the purchase and sale agreement. The appraiser throws out the stuff that is irrelevant. Therefore, the appraiser has a balanced and complete picture of what the market is saying relative to properties more or less analogous to the subject. That is being independent, impartial, and objective. Where does all this lead? Simple. We avoid bias because we promised our clients we would. We avoid bias because we're independent, impartial, and objective. We avoid bias because that is a way of leading the public to trust not only us, but in what we do. We avoid bias so that our clients realize that what we provide to them is better than what an AVM provides to them. Thanks for sitting down with me today. I appreciate it. Again, I'm Tim Anderson, the Appraiser's Advocate. If you have any questions on this topic or anything else that's appraisal-related or USPAP-related, please get in touch with me. Again, I'm Tim Anderson, the Appraiser's Advocate. My email address is tim at theappraisersadvocate.com. It will be an honor to chat with you. It will be a pleasure to consult with you. So, until the next time, be safe and well. Thanks. We're clear.